The Texas Football Today podcast is brought to you by Chocolate Milk and Built by Nature. Catch Texas Football Today live weekdays at noon on TexasFootball.com and Facebook. And get involved with the show using hashtag TFToday. Yes, yes, y'all. From the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Mothership here in beautiful Louisville, Texas, it's Texas Football Today, a show online. My name is Greg Tepper. I am the managing editor of Dave Campbell's Texas Football, a magazine, texasfootball.com, a corresponding website. Thank you for spending part of your day with us. Whether you're watching us live at texasfootball.com or on Facebook, or you're listening to us on the podcast, which you can subscribe to on the podcast vendor of your choice. Either way, thank you for doing your part to support your local mediocre internet show. I'm sitting here, sitting over there at the helm. She says feeling a little bit better, although can talk worse. Yeah. Ashley Pickle. Feeling better. Voice is done oh, for. Oh, no. Done for. You can just go ahead and turn off your, your, your uh, not, microphone. Not, if not you needed to. today at all. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Shahan's here. Hey, Shahan. What's up, everybody? Oh, do the wave again. Hello. There you go. There we There's go. Shahan. <laughs> uh, we'll get to him in just a moment. <laughs> yeah. Today's Tuesday, October 1st, 2019. I just wanted you to feel welcome. Uh, all right. uh, today's cool, Tuesday, thanks. October 1st, 2019. 58 days till Thanksgiving. Episode 827. 827. Jeff Fry's plate appearances in his Lester's Texas Rangers career, 1992 to 1995. On today's show, guys, as I mentioned, Shahan's here. So we're going to talk a little bit about college football, including some pretty... Pretty sizable breaking news we had yesterday on TexasFootball.com. Yeah, I would. It's 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 not like you know. I don't think people are going to. Uh, if if you are a F, if you're an FBS snob, let's put it that way. I think it's, you know, if you're an FBS snob and you only pay attention to FBS, then maybe this is not going to move the needle for you. But I think it should move the needle for you. If you are an FBS snob, get the hell off my podcast. Wow. <laughs> okay. Boom. We are here to make you care about every school, all the way from the University of Texas, all the way down to... Southwestern Assemblies of God. There we go. I didn't want to call anybody out. <laughs> Swag U is always my go-to <laughs> NAIA team. <laughs> all right. It's always there my we go. go-to there NAIA go. team. Hey, hey, we we do some JUCO stuff, too. Yes, we do. JUCOs as well. <laughs> uh, we'll talk with Sean. Then we're going to announce our uh, Visit Fort Worth Coaches of the Week and our Dairy Maxfield by Chocolate Milk Assistant Coach of the Week nominees in the back half of the program. We will talk with the Texas High School Hall of Famer and the voice of the Texas Longhorns. Uh, you know him. You love him. The Emmy Award winning Craig Way will join us. But first, as we mentioned, for the third time, Shahan is here. Um, <laughs> let's Wait, is Shahan here? Have yeah, we mentioned that to them yet? There I, is, I don't know. There's no way to tell. Yeah. Um, so. Big if true. Or it's College Football Insider Shahan J. Raja. Follow him on Twitter at Shahan J. Raja. Um, I'm just going to keep telling people that. All right. And they can figure it out themselves. All right. All right. I mean, it's, is, on, it's on the screen if, this, you're, if you're watching. Yeah, there you go. This yeah, is the yeah. Create Your Own Adventure podcast. All right. Um, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about college football. And, and we are now into week six of college football season. Sure. Uh, we have a good amount. I would say a now a decent amount of of data points on every team in the state, at least the FBS uh, from the FBS perspective. Sure. And yet there are still three teams that I want to throw out at you. Okay. And I guess my question for you for these three teams is, is the jury still out? Maybe the jury's not still out and you have your judgment ready, but is the jury still out? We will start with maybe the most confounding team in the state of Texas, the Houston Cougars. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> The jury's still out on them, right? We still don't know what they are, right? Yeah. Well, here's the thing, too, is that as of literally last week, 
we're working with a completely different roster. We're working with a completely different identity. And so now you have Clayton Toon step in, and they look really, really good against North Texas. But there is an aspect of, did they just rally for this game? Mm -hmm. Are they just stepping up for this game? Uh, it's kind of hard to know at this point. Um, you know, we're going to learn a lot in the next couple of weeks as they have a pretty tough schedule. They have to play SMU. They have to play Memphis. They have to play all these kinds of teams. Um, and we're going to learn, you know, is Clayton Toon truly going to be that big-time quarterback that they need? And we saw on Saturday, I feel like he fits Dana systems, uh, Dana's system excuse me, very well. Um, but we're going to see, does that hold up when you're playing against better competition? Because I think that, you know, I don't know if we're going to talk about North Texas, but one thing that I think we do know about North Texas Let's is... Not. <laughs> Let's just not talk about North Texas. Well, I, I think we do know that their defense has struggled. Yes. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, while the signs are pretty good early from Clayton Toon, I still think that we don't know a whole lot about this team. And when they go and play against better competition, I mean, we saw against Tulane, they have streaks on offense and then they fallouts and then on defense they haven't been consistently very good so the jury's definitely still out on this team and once we get into conference play I, I, I'm curious to kind of see what they end up being right because it's almost like like they are now two and three on the year right so we have five games of data but right. in many respects we only have one right. because this team is so different without De'Ara King I would argue they're different without um, uh, without Keith Corbin, sure. and I would, and depending on how long these two offensive linemen are out, uh, I know that they were down two starting offensive linemen in this one. You well, can make an argument that we we still don't like we're still in the infancy of knowing what this team is. Well, and one of the offensive linemen is confirmed out for the year. Okay, uh, Braylon Jones is out for yeah. the year, uh, which is a pretty big deal. And yeah, I mean, I think that the big thing too is what exactly do we want from this team? You know, because. They were very clear. We are not giving up the season. You know, we're not trying to, uh, you know, we're not just giving up. Yeah. And I think that they proved that on Saturday. I think they proved that they're still a very motivated team and obviously a very talented team. Um, but, you know, what is success for this team now? You know, you're missing some of your best players. You're missing a key offensive lineman. Uh, and that doesn't even count, obviously, on defense just still being very young. So what does success look like? I mean, obviously, you want to get back to a bowl game. You want to compete with everybody. You want to maybe pull an upset or two. But that's kind of the question, too, is I am curious internally because, you know, coaches kind of know what they're up against. Mm -hmm. You know, they while they don't always talk about it publicly, they know, hey, it's going to be hard for us to do this because we don't have X or we don't have Y. And that's part of why they're redshirting Derek King and Keith Corbin. But I'm curious what the discussions are like in the Houston uh, offices and in the, the coaches' rooms because I am curious what exactly they want to try and accomplish this season. Right, because, you know, you look at this, um, you look at this team like, even on the defensive side, we focus so much in De'Aaron King, right? Because yeah. he's the headliner. But like Terrence Edgerton's been out. Mm -hmm. Jordan Carmouche is out for the year. Yeah. They are really thin at the linebacker spot. And yet, and I think that's what makes their win on Saturday so 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 remarkable and, and yet so confounding because it's like there's like – and I want us to get another data point after their bye week because – I think you're right. There is a possibility that this was, as they say in 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 some circles, the dead cat the dead cat bounce. Sure. That like whenever a, a dead cat hits the ground, it still bounces. <laughs> that could be the dead cat bounce. But what? You ever heard of dead cat bounce? No. Anyway, um, yes. you're gonna kill me over here. You should Google it. No laughing. You should Google it. It's a real it's a real phrase. But my point is it a dead cat bounce or is it uh, is this team for real and are they have they found a new kind of lease on life? Right. With uh, with Clayton Toon and with, you know, they're going to get healthier. For sure. But sure. there are also some, I don't know, it, they're well, such a confusing team. And, and the last thing I'll kind of say on it is, the other thing too is that 
it's one thing if you jump into conference play and have a favorable schedule, right? It's mm-hmm. like, um, not that you can compare these teams, but like if you're UNT and you're jumping into to play and you feel like you're better than most of the teams, that's one thing. But even if Houston had everybody, versus Cincinnati, versus SMU, at UCF, versus Memphis, like those are four games that no matter who you have, you're probably going to be an underdog in those games. So that's the biggest thing is like you can beat UNT. I think that they'll compete against Cincinnati, obviously win at UConn. But if if Cincinnati and SMU are losses, are they going to be motivated for those next two against maybe the two best teams in the AAC? I, I'm curious to see because it's easy to rally for a game. It's easy to rally around, hey, you know, everybody's doubting Nobody us. Nobody believes in us. Right. And very much true, by the way, <laughs> you know, for last week. But But can you do it and sustain it for an entire season? Can you sustain it for eight games? I'm curious to see it. In finance, a dead cat... Dead cat bounce is a small, brief recovery in the price of a declining (laughs) stock caused by speculators buying in order to cover their positions. There you go. Uh, All right. right. You learn something new every day. I am finance guy. Okay. Let's get to the next one. That's president (laughs) business. The team that that Houston beat on Saturday is North Texas. Yeah. And I guess uh, I'll just leave it to you. Is the jury still out on North Texas? Yes, because so far this season... They've had such a difficult schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you play SMU, who it just turns out is freaking amazing. Yeah. Right? Like, like that's just... That's turned thing. out to be a pretty good loss. Right. Uh, the Houston loss, not very good, but it's still against a team that's a higher level team. And then the other was against Cal, which in some ways was their best performance this season. Yeah. You know, only losing by six to a, a Cal team that only has one loss. So now you go into Conference USA play. And to me, I said it at the beginning, the only thing that matters this season is winning the conference. The only thing that matters is that. Now, if you go 12-0 and and are in contention for that New Year's Six game, okay, but once you lose to SMU and that's out of the picture, the only thing that matters is winning the conference. And that is still very doable, right? And we don't necessarily know what UNT is going to look like against comparable teams because we've seen the last couple of weeks, you know what, their offensive line is struggling, especially with Alex Woodward uh, being kind of inconsistent and being out. Uh, They're just not a great unit right now. And when you can't block up front – there's not a whole lot you can do. And then on defense, I think that we do know at this point that this isn't going to be that same North Texas defense as last season. And I do think that we overlooked to a certain extent how much they lost on defense because yeah. EJ Ajia, Brandon Garner, Kimon Hall, uh, Nate, Brooks. Nate Brooks. I mean, these are really high-level players. Arguably, they're four best defensive players. And experienced guys. Right. Guys who had a lot of big games. And experience. the other thing, too, is that you can argue that cornerback – and even linebacker, to an extent, is the most important position when it comes to experience. And you lose two guys who were very experienced. And one, uh, Nick Harvey, uh-huh. is an experienced guy who's come in and played very well. But it's just different when you don't have that across your defense. And we're seeing the results of that. So the biggest thing is I think that we're going to see North Texas having to outscore teams this season. Yeah. Whereas last year, that wasn't really the case. They were outscoring teams. But they also had a defense they could rely on, too. I think this year it's going to be a lot about their offense. It's going to be a lot on Mason Fine. Um, they're still good enough, obviously, to win the conference. They still might be the best team in that conference. But uh, I still think, I think that, that speaks more to the conference than it does to them. It, it does. It does. They're worse than last year, no yeah. doubt. But I think, that, um, I think that right now we still don't necessarily know about them because we haven't seen them play a team at their level. I think that's fair. I, I worry. This is just me. I worry much like the team that we're going to talk about next, I worry that they are a good team that's fatally flawed. Yeah. That has the wrong 
that that is really good in a lot of different places and then has two things that are just going to cut the legs out from underneath it, specifically corner and uh, an offensive Well, and the other thing that I'll say, too, is that I didn't expect this to be the case, but losing Rico Busty has kind of been devastating. Yeah. Um, you know, because he's just a guy that they can rely on, and he attracts so much attention. And you're seeing now. I mean, you saw against Houston, and Houston has high-level players, obviously, so they can do things, but... They really relied on Michael Lawrence in the slot, which is part of Michael Lawrence being good. But it was also that a lot of their passes were four and five yards down the field. Yeah. You know, you're not able to take these shots. And I will say the one time that they managed to get Mason find some time and he was able to stand in the pocket, he delivered a freaking bomb to Jair yeah. Shorter. I mean, it's still there. Yeah. He still has that. So if he can not be under pressure, I mean, he can complete these passes, but it's a little concerning to me that, you know, Shorter's stepped up and been really good for them, but Jalen Darden's kind of been a little bit of a no-show. Uh, you know, Michael Lawrence, again, does some nice things, but over the middle. I mean, their two leading receivers were Michael Lawrence and, and their tight ends. Um, so, you know, they're not necessarily getting the ball down the field to the same extent with Rico Bussy out, and I think that's a big issue for what they want to do. It's John J. Raja, our college football insider, joining us here on Texas Football Today. Get involved in the conversation, hashtag TF Today. All right, we're going <laughs> to... Oh, my gosh. It's spreading. We're, we're going to wrap up this part Thank of the, goodness, the segment. I'm in, a, in a contained space right. with you two. <laughs> A&M. Yeah. <laughs> is, is it the same? Is the jury out on A&M? Or do we know what they are? So here's the big issue with AM is that there is a clear upper class on their schedule and there's a clear lower class on their schedule. And I'd say that maybe the only middle class game on their schedule is Mississippi State. Yeah, probably fair. So I don't know per se how much more exactly we're going to learn about AM. Not necessarily that we know exactly what they are, but for the rest of the season, I mean, I, I think that it's pretty clear. They're not one of the top teams. They're not going to be able to compete with LSU, Georgia, and Alabama, in my opinion, from what we've seen so far. Right. Um, but they still also should be better than South Carolina and Ole Miss. Um, and UTSA. And, you'd hope UTSA. Uh, so, I mean, that's that's kind of my question, right? Is like, I don't necessarily know if we'll ever know what this team is because I think that there's just the top and the bottom and they're kind of somewhere in the middle and we don't exactly know where. Well, right now they're 3-2, and two, yeah. right? They're 3-2 and two with... As ugly of a win it, as it was, yeah. still a win over Arkansas, yeah. right? They're three and two. Let's just go ahead. Yeah. I don't know if you guys are comfortable doing this, but they play three top five teams remaining. Let's just Correct. go ahead and pencil them in for three losses. I think that's fair. What? Anybody? Whoa! Don't, think, let, don't let them hear you. Objection. I think they're going to lose to Alabama. <laughs> I think they're going to lose at Georgia. I think they're going to lose to LSU. That's my take. Okay. Love to be surprised. Okay. We don't do hot takes on this show. <laughs> Ole Miss is bad. Yeah. They are capital B bad. Yeah. They should win that game, they even should. on the road. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. UTSA, they out. They are just they're they overmatched UTSA. Yeah. And then they get South Carolina at home. That is a game you absolutely should win. Yeah. Okay. So right now you're looking at that that right there puts you at six and five. Right. I mean the Mississippi State game at home is a turn game, right? Yeah. That's I, that's the turn game. Well, and for me that's why you know I wrote about it and I talked about it and everything, but that Auburn game was critical because yeah. if they wanted to have a good season. They had to beat Auburn, in my opinion. Now, Auburn ended up being a lot better than we thought, I think, at the same time. So that's just bad luck to a certain extent. But once they lost that game, it kind of turned into, okay, they're not going to be a great team. They're not going to be a team that can finish the year ranked. They're not going to be a team that can even really make some noise in the conference just because of the way the schedule sets up. And again, I mean, you look at 
the state of the state right now, if they had another schedule, maybe they'd be better. You know, maybe they'd be a team that could win eight or nine games. But I think there's a reality right now, too, where, hey, you know what? They kind of got thoroughly outclassed by the two ranked teams that they played. Yeah. And now all of a sudden it's more like, okay, you know, they're clearly better in Arkansas. I mean, Arkansas was just a game. Yeah, they played poorly, but they're better. Right, them. right. Um, so, you know, they're not at that level, but it's concerning because you are like, okay, if you're if you have the top and the bottom here, they're probably more under the 50th percentile than above it. And that's something where, you know, that can change too. That can change as the line gets healthier. That can change as the defense gets more comfortable, which I think the defense has played pretty well. Uh, and, and it can change as they kind of start being able to run the ball some more. But at this moment, I think that you kind of just have to see them as a below-average SEC team. I think that a big thing with them, too, is that they play either up or down to their competition. They you do. look at Arkansas, and they played horrible against the worst team. But you look at an Auburn, and they typically kind of play kind of well. I would even say they played decent against Auburn. Yeah. They were, you yeah. Know, their I, defense was great I, against Clemson. They played decent against uh, they played decent against, and I would say they played decent against Clemson. Yeah. Overall, offense kind of no-showed, but I think, yeah, you know. But, but then the issue is, again... You, then you play South Carolina at home, which is a team that you should beat. But right. if you're going to play down to them, they can beat you. If you go on the road at Ole Miss, and we know that they play a lot better at home than on the road, you can't no-show. You just right. can't. I mean, an Ole Miss hopefully is bad enough that it doesn't matter. Sure. But you just don't know. You just don't know. And I don't know. I, I, I've, I kind of view them in the same way that I view North Texas in the yeah. sense that I think, there, I think there's a lot of really good pieces here. Yeah. But I think they're fatally flawed. Yeah, and, and, I think and that, for, that offensive line. It's that offensive line, and I think that you know we knew that there was going to be some level of setback, but I don't think that I expected them to go from having the leading rusher, single season rusher in school history, to averaging two point five yards per carry against Arkansas. I just don't know if I saw that happening. So let's switch gears now. Yeah. To the big news of yesterday. Yes. Uh, at le- Yesterday afternoon, yesterday evening, uh, broke uh, news breaking on TexasFootball.com that Tarleton State, yeah. uh, who is currently ripping up Division Two right now, yeah. is not long for this Division Two world. Yeah. Starting next year, they are moving into uh, the WAC. They're moving into an FCS. They're moving up to FCS. Yes. Uh, as an FCS independent, I know you've got a podcast coming out with Corey Hogue, our our small college insider. Uh, Who's been all over this news box. Yeah, he absolutely has. This is a big deal, right? Yeah. Well, so now you move up. Now there are going to be nine FCS teams in this state, right? So which brings us, I guess, to 21 overall Division I teams. Um, And Tarleton State has always kind of been a program that fits the profile of somebody that's maybe looking to move up. Uh, They've got a really loyal fan base and a pretty big alumni base, too, for sort of a a mid-tier feeder school in a lot of ways. Um you know, and they've developed their facilities, they've had the donors, they've had the money to kind of be able to do that. And so, you know, you look at them stepping into the, the FCS world, which, by the way, they're going to start as an independent. Don't be shocked if in the next, let's say, couple of years, if the WAC adds football again. Yeah. Uh, because they added uh, Tarleton State, a very good football school. They added Dixie State, which... They're called Dixie State. They play in Utah. That's so, so weird. <laughs> That's weird. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, Dixie State is also a football school. Um, New Mexico State is a member of the WAC in all sports except for football. Don't be shocked to see them move back uh, down and play football at the FCS level, too. I mean, not that we're sure that it's going to happen, but it might happen. Um, so I would imagine that Tarleton State wouldn't make this decision if they didn't think that the WAC was eventually going to have football. Um, but in a lot of ways, it makes sense. I mean, again, they... 
have shown with the level of fan support that they have, the level of administrative support that they've had. They've wanted to be Division One for a long time, and it is an interesting time to do it uh, because, again, you're competing for national titles at the Division Two level right now, and you're going to step into a world where you're a Division One independent. But uh, but this is a school that's wanted to do it. They want to raise their profile. They want to be you know, one of these schools. And I think they look at Abilene Christian, what they've done, and they kind of want to be like that. They want to move up to that level. Right, and, and let's not forget, they just up they just renovated that stadium, yeah. that Memorial Stadium yeah. out there, and it is a glowing... Right. That is the kind of move... You, this, is, this was not a decision they made yesterday, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. This is a decision we're finding out is official yesterday. Right. Um, they're making moves out there in Stephenville. They, they had their grand opening of Memorial Stadium um, with a... You know, giant renovation there. Another thing to keep, to remember: there is a relatively prominent FCS pro or FCS uh, conference that resides in the state uh, with the Southland. They have eleven teams right now in in football. That's obviously going to be a decision for the Southland. But I would not be a surprise if if Tarleton, you know, I don't want to say starts lobbying for it. But well, the but thing that, that is interesting, and, and we go into this a little bit on on our premium pod, which. Republic of Football, yes, by the way. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, actually, and we've uploaded the premium pod. We'll post it on the okay. website uh, as soon as this is over. Um, the thing that's interesting, though, is that, you know, talking to Corey, he's kind of said that the Southland's not looking to expand right now. Interesting. Yeah, which you look at the teams that are in the Southland. I mean, again, don't want to call anybody out for sure. sure but, like, I think that Charlatan is a more attractive destination than a lot of these places. You know, I mean... There are some programs right now that are having success and maybe haven't before, but like Charlton, you feel like if they were in the Southland, maybe they'd be able to have some consistent success, but they're moving up now. And I mean, I don't know whether it's, okay, the WAC just gave them the offer and they're like, well, we, we have to jump at this opportunity. We can be a founding member of sort of this football conference again. I don't know what exactly the thought process is, but it sure sounds like they're moving up without any sort of guarantee that they're going to for sure end up in a football conference. Well, and, and for every... Action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. This is a blow for the Lone Star Conference, too. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, you know, you lose a team that's been one of... They, I mean, they dropped they dropped eight football members now. Yeah, they dropped eight football members. And obviously, you know, you feel okay because Commerce and, and Midwestern State and even Angelo State sure. and historically West Texas. Like, I mean, they're still going to be a good Division II conference. But they go from being like an elite conference uh, from a football perspective to maybe one that's just very good. Uh, and because Tarleton, again, that that's one of the flagship schools of this conference. Sure. It's one of the schools that you rely on to bring attention to the conference, to bring fan support. I mean, again, there's a reason. They they function in a lot of ways at a different level than a lot of the other schools in that conference. And now, you know, I'm curious to see whether the Lone Star chooses to expand, chooses to stay at eight. Um, you know, I, again, they still have good teams. They still have teams that should be able to compete at the highest level. But losing a school like Tarleton and, and really even just those connections to that area, you know, the Stephenville fan base, all that sort of stuff, even losing access to some historical rivalries, mm-hmm. it's going to be a little disappointing. He's Shahan J. Raja. Uh, of course, listen to Republic of Football, uh, our college football podcast. You can get it uh, anywhere you get this podcast. Uh, searching there. Do you have something, Ashley? We do. We actually had one question come through. And yeah. Rob Hadaway asked this yesterday, and we didn't get to it, but now he's since Shahan is here, he said, uh, how will the NCAA level the playing field when California allows college athletes to make money off their names, jersey, et cetera, starting in 2023? <laughs> how do you level that playing yeah. field, Shahan? Well, I think that the biggest thing that we're looking at right now is that we are reaching a reckoning. You know, yeah. 
California's passed this, and there are, I think, five more states or something like Florida that. Florida wants to pass one. That'll Florida's go in it now. Year. Pennsylvania's in it now. Yeah. Like, this is happening now. This is happening right now. And so I think, ultimately, the NCAA is going to have to make some decisions. They're going to have to say, is this the fight that we're going to have over all this? Right. Is, is this going to be the one that we're going to focus on? Mm-hmm. And I think, ultimately, they're going to realize that they don't really have a choice. Now, the one thing I will say is that this will absolutely go to court. Uh, this yes. will absolutely have a chance of being struck down. You know, they might just find this law unconstitutional. We, we don't know. Yeah. Like, we really don't know. We're still very early on in this process. But at the same time, I do think that the reckoning is happening. And I think at this point, uh, you know, what, what NIL, uh, I can't remember what all it stands for. Uh, name, image, likeness. Yeah. That's what it is. Uh, not national that's nli (laughs) (laughs) name image like weird job that i think has reached a critical mass of of support from people yeah i think that the majority of people supported at this point at least sort of the people that they're kind of looking at and especially looking into the future i think that younger people definitely support it well yeah it's it's um it's the time is coming and look you're exactly right the ncaa is going to have to pick a hill to die on yeah and they're going to have to wonder if this is the hill. And and for me, I mean, and, and not to go too long on this, but if you're the NCAA, the path where you don't have to directly make payments to players seems like the no-brainer path. Yeah. You know, because you have examples. Everybody talks about football for good reason and basketball. But, like, uh, you know, looking at some of the athletes that go to college but have already been professionals they can't play. What's the name of that swimmer again? Uh, Katie Ledecky. Yeah. The fact that Katie Ledecky never got to swim at an NCAA level, come on. That's crazy. That's insane. And, like, if you are an elite institute, or if you're the NCAA, you want these athletes competing because, you know what, people are going to go out to watch Katie Ledecky swim, right. and you're going to have interest in your swimming program. But if she's going to pick between, can I make a million dollars by being advertised by Speedo, or am I going to, you know, swim for Stanford? Come on, that's that's not a decision. So it's just a no-brainer to me in a lot of ways. Now, there's going to be a lot of issues. I'm not saying yeah. that that'll mean it's easy. But if you're the NCAA, the value of having some of these athletes, especially, I think, in the Olympic sports, being able to compete at an NCAA level. Uh, Trayvon Bromel was an yeah. example at Baylor where after his sophomore year, he's like, I can make money doing this. Like, I, I have to do this. I, I think that it's going to end up being a, a benefit in the long run, even for the sports that we think – maybe there wouldn't be as much interest in. The one other thing that was just a statement, not a question. Uh, Ruben Rios gave a shout out. He said, my favorite part of the recent Republic of Football episode is where Shahan, without hesitation or without remorse, just said, Nebraska sucks. (laughs) (laughs) He's not wrong. (laughs) Look, man, everybody (laughs) wants to be like, whoa, Ohio State's amazing because of that. No, they're amazing. It's not because they played Nebraska. Are you kidding me? Why are you putting game day in Nebraska when they because they lost to Colorado? Like, are you kidding me? I remember when Nebraska was good. I also remember the war. Pep, pep. I, that, I, I legitimately. I was born in 1994. I do not remember when Nebraska was good. He is You're welcome, America. He is Shahan J. Raja. Follow him on Twitter. Our college football insider. Listen to the Republic of Football on TexasFootball.com and anywhere you get podcasts. Uh, premium edition with Corey Hope coming out today. Right now, right now, on textfootball.com. Follow my Twitter, at Shehan J. Raja, spelled exactly like it sounds. It's right there. Sean, thanks a lot. Thank you. (laughs) We are Texas Football Today. We're here every weekday at noon on texasfootball.com, talking football in the Lone Star State. You can follow us on Twitter at DCTF. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Dave Campbells. Follow us on Instagram, instagram.com slash Dave Campbells. And, of course, see us at texasfootball.com. Pay some bills.
Dave Campbell's Texas Football in partnership with Visit Fort Worth is proud to honor one head football coach in each classification with the Coach of the Week Award. Each uh, each coach recognized with this honor, special honor, typifies the best in Texas high school football. Your Week 5, Visit Fort Worth Coaches of the Week. In 6A, Mike Rabe from Katie Made Creek. We had him on the show yesterday. Rabe Squad opened district play Saturday night with an impressive 40-14 win over Katie Cinco Ranch to improve to 5-0 for the first time in school history. In 5A, Eric Ezar from Brian Rudder. First-year coach Ezar has Rangers fans thinking they can get into the playoffs for the first time in school history after their third straight come-from-behind win on Friday night, knocking off Montgomery 56-50. In 4A, James Polk from Gainesville. Coach Polk and the Leopards' offense is on fire halfway through the season, averaging more than 45 points per game in an impressive 5-0 start, keeping up their tour pace with a 53-35 win over Bridgeport. In 3A, Trey Stevens from Mathis, first-year coach Stevens, has his Pirates sitting at 2-2 two and, two and feeling good about where they stand after opening up District 16 3A Division I play with an emphatic 58-22 win over previously unbeaten Falfurias. In 2A, Matt Lavorn from Stratford. In a top-10 battle in 2A Division II, Lavorn's Elks made quite the statement, blasting past number one-ranked Hamlin 39-6 in a neutral site matchup. And in 1A, Matt Hoover from Anton. In his first season at the helm of the Bulldogs, Hoover has guided Anton to back-to-back -back wins, including a 46-32 homecoming win over O'Donnell. So those are your Week 5 Visit Fort Worth Coaches of the Week. In 6A, Mike Rabe from Katie Mae Creek. In 5A, Eric Ezar from Brian Rudder. In 4A, Gainesville coach James Polk. In 3A, Mathis coach Trey Stevens. In 2A, Matt, uh, Stratford coach Matt Lavorne. And in 1A, Anton coach Matt Hoover. Congratulations to all the coaches. For more information, visit TexasFootball.com. Derry Max and Dave Campbell's Texas Football are proud to team up this year to honor excellence in coaching and the hard work that assistant coaches put in on behalf of their team. Each week, the Texas football staff nominates four deserving assistant coaches across the state for the Derry Max Built by Chuck and Milk Assistant Coach of the Week and let fans decide via Twitter poll. It all leads up to the Derry Max Built by Chuck and Milk Assistant Coach of the Year decided at season's end. Your Week 5 Derry Max Built by Chocolate Milk Assistant Coach of the Week nominees... <laughs> Melissa Offense Coordinator Jason Russell. The Cardinals put together the perfect game plan against physical Paris, exploding for 54 points to bring home a thrilling 54-46 win in their district opener. Crane Offensive Line Coach Josh Lady. The Golden Cranes offense was in full bloom on Friday night, lighting up Stanton for 676 yards en route to a 56-7 victory. Atascacita Offensive Coordinator Gerald Orr. The Eagles averaged an astonishing 17.2 yards per play in an 82 to nothing romp over Pasadena Rayburn. And El Paso America's defensive coordinator Bill Schmidt. The Trailblazers held El Dorado to just 184 yards of total offense and pitched their second shutout in five games in a 58-0 win. So those are your Week 5 Dairy Max Built by Chocolate Milk Assistant Coach of the Week nominees. Melissa Offensive Coordinator Jason Russell. Crane Offensive Line Coach Josh Lady. Uh... Atascacita Offensive Coordinator Gerald Orr and El Paso America's Defensive Coordinator Bill Schmidt. Vote now at twitter.com slash DCTF or at DCTF on Twitter as the kids say. We are Texas Football Today. We're here every weekday at noon on texasfootball.com talking football in the Lone Star State. You can follow us on Twitter at DCTF like us on Facebook facebook.com slash Dave Campbell's. Follow us on Instagram instagram.com slash Dave Campbell's and of course see us at texasfootball.com texasfootball.com is where you can find complete coverage of high school football, college football and recruiting all across the Lone Star State. I want to invite you to check out texasfootball.com to become a Dave Campbell's Texas Football Insider. Here is a small update. 
If you become a Dave Campbell's Texas Football Insider right now today, the first magazine you receive will be the Recruiting Edition, which comes out in December. You will get that magazine plus the 2020 Summer Edition. We have made the switch. Now that it's October, you will get the Winter ed uh, Recruiting Edition and the uh, 2020 Summer Edition if you subscribe today. Become a Dave Campbell's Texas Football Insider. Also, years worth of exclusive online content at TexasFootball.com, including insider podcasts like Republic of Football, where we talk about Tarleton State's big move to FCS. All that for a low, low price at TexasFootball.com slash insider. It makes a great gift as well. Uh, Halloween is coming, so get it for your spooky, spooky significant season. other. I don't know. That, don't like uh, it's probably not the best. Pickle, let's go to the hotline and bring in the Texas High School Football Hall of Famer and the co-host of the Emmy Award-winning High School Scoreboard Live on Fox Sports Southwest, who is abandoning us this week to go off to wild, wild West Virginia. We are joined uh, by the Hall of Famer, Craig Way. Uh, Craig, uh, you're, have you prepared yourself mentally to enter West Virginia? It always takes a bit of mental preparation. I can tell you that, Tap. It, it, there's, there's something, you know, uh, I, I tend to fly commercial into Pittsburgh just so I can kind of brace myself, you know, once I get in the rental car and head down I-79 and then you just, you know, you go into the vortex uh, that is the mountain near state. So I, I always prepare for that. We've now had a little bit of time to digest what happened uh, in week five of Texas high school football. I know that when we were on the air on Friday night, um, we were talking about how it felt like there were a number of teams across the state that made statements uh, in in their in their big wins on Friday, and then kind of leaking into Saturday as well. Uh, now that you've had a little bit of time to digest it, is there one team that you would identify that has stuck with you as making the biggest statement on Friday? Uh, you know, I, I guess there's a couple. Well, I'll tell you one of them that did. Brandeis did, I think. Yeah. And, and and I was impressed by what they did. And, and, uh, and you know, I, I, I think we were looking at that matchup with Brendan and said, hey, that, that's going to be close. And, uh, the, the fact that I, I think they made a real statement with what they did. I was, I was impressed by them. Some of the ones, you know, we expect to see uh, that some of the, some of the guys – uh, do what we expect them to do. Uh, some of the same usual suspects, uh, the West Lakes and, and Lake Travis's of the world, who seem to have bounced back. Julius Trinity was another one, I think. Yeah. And uh, and, I, and I noticed that you've got them in the in the rankings this week. And uh, you know, we'll, it, it'll be interesting to see what they do uh, uh, going forward to the Trojans. But I thought that that was a nice statement made uh, by them as well. And and. Uh, how they do at home and dealing with prosperity against it and solar central will be interesting. Uh, speaking of uh, kind of under the radar, I think one that um, maybe people have not talked about, maybe it's because it's just in a far flung part of the state, but, but I think Stratford's win over Hamlin uh, and specifically the way that they did it. Two um, a division two was already wild and woolly. And now it just, I don't know. Like you, I think you just for a, for a, a, a classification that last year, was so chalky and so easy to understand. Now it seems like every single week we get a new wrench thrown into 2A Division Two, and, and I think Stratford's big win over Hamlin is just the latest one of those. Yeah, we're, we're, we're having a lot of fun with that, aren't we, about what's going down? And, and uh, I, knew, I know you and Steph and the rest of the crew are, are having a lot of fun trying to figure out exactly where you are uh, with your rankings each week uh, with 2A DJ. Listen, you know, I... I, I 
thought about this uh, long and hard that uh, you've got to be pretty, pretty pleased with the mere fact that you, in all probability, now I could be wrong about this, but I would say it's a pretty safe bet that that the number one team in 2A Division Two that you have, you won't have to yank him out of the top spot if only because Fall City has an open date on their schedule. Yes. You know, and, uh, otherwise it has been, it's been, uh, like you said, carnage, chaos, all that other kind of stuff. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you in, in seeing it. And, and uh, let me also say that in the midst of all of those things and for uh, Stratford to be as impressive as they were to win by 33 points, I, I'll give you another one. Wellington, I yeah. thought, with what they did against a really good panhandle team uh, to, to beat them by 19 points to put 60 on the board against them. Uh, very much impressed me. Oh, we're talking Craig Way, the Texas High School Football Hall of Famer here on Texas Football Today. Get involved in the conversation and hashtag TF Today. All right, Craig, I'm going to give you three undefeated teams that are currently ranked in Dave Campbell's Texas Football's rankings. And I want to know which one of them do you think is flying the most under the radar? The most under the radar. I'll give you one in 5A. Hey. Newly ranked hey. Abilene Cooper, who's now 5-0, and who was 5-0 and to start the year. I will give you, in 4A, Springtown. The Porcupines are ranked number nine in Dave Campbell's Texas football. And then I will jump down, uh, I will jump down uh, to, uh, uh, to 2A, and I'll give you the post-Antelopes, who are 5-0. Which of those do you think are flying the most under the radar, I guess relative to where they should be flying, uh, given their record? Yeah, I think that's that, that's the key there in talking about you know where they are uh, given given the record, and also the other thing that I like to go into figuring out on some of the stuff is the district and and in some cases the region that they're in because mm-hmm. I think that has a lot to do with it as well because when we think of teams flying below the radar, uh, the the I know for me the knee jerk reaction is to automatically think, okay, uh, are they uh, are they just flying under the radar for the time being, and are we going to see, uh, you know, the, the 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 real McCoys step up, and are they and are they uh, going to get a dose of reality as it goes forward, or does this team, in the definition of flying under the radar, have a legitimate shot to go deep in the playoffs? Yeah. I will th- before you can even answer that, I will tell you this. I think the team of the ones you mentioned that is most "quote unquote" flying under the radar is Springtown. Yes. If for no other reason, you've got two other unbeaten's, and we know all about Decatur and and what they're capable of. And Gainesville, Gainesville may be the most flying under the radar of there, but you didn't ask Gainesville. You had Springtown. <laughs> so I would I would I would say of the ones you mentioned, probably Springtown. Uh, you know, I love how this thing is going to continue to simmer and percolate for a little bit longer here since uh, the entire uh, the entirety of uh, 4AD1 District 4 is taking a powder this week since they're taking the whole week off. But uh, I, I probably would say the Porcupines, but we'll find out enough about them soon enough when they uh, first play Gainesville and then play Decatur. It's, uh, it's Craig Way, the Texas High Football Hall of Famer, joining us on Texas Football today. Uh, let's, of course, check in with our favorite district, 13-5A Division 2, uh, which... And, Am I wrong to be really fired up about Eastview and Brenham? I I am. I feel like this game has a chance to be really fun. And if you want to talk about Matt Step and I have tried to coin the phrase uh, a game where you figure out do they have the juice? 
We'll find out about ECU this week against Brenham. This feels like a really big game that, that I think, in a, because maybe there's so many big games across the state, we'll talk about those next, but um, it feels like this one may be, may be flying under the radar. Probably because of, uh, I like to call it the crazy mixed-up world of 13-5 AD2, the <laughs> stuff that can happen in that district. Remember last year, Tep, Brenham and ECU played a 35-34 game. Yeah, And Brenham won it, and it was a heartbreaking loss for Eastview, but it opened the door, as we like to call them, for the expansion team, for Leander Glenn to kind of slip in and do what they needed to do uh, to get into the, uh, the race to win it. And maybe that's happening for Weiss this year. Uh, that was pretty impressive, uh, not only not just for beating Bastrop but to and handing them their first loss, but to do it in the manner in which they did. And so I think that that was – that was pretty good, and that's a pretty important game that the two newbies, Weiss and Glenn, are playing this week. So uh, they're all one and zero in the district, but but Eastview and Brenham is going to be the one where the microscope lands, I think, to see how that goes uh, out at Berkelbach Stadium this Friday. And finally, we'll give you uh, we'll give you three games. It's a great, great week of games across the state. It's really for for a, a week with a ton of bye weeks, a ton of open weeks, I should say. Um, it's, it's, yeah, by the way, is the is the entire city of San Antonio going on vacation this week? San Antonio you know, yes. well, San Antonio and El Paso, they're just <laughs> yes. meeting in Midland just to, to yeah. hang out. Uh, I'm going to give you three games that I think are huge, huge mega matchups. You can only pick one to attend. Is it okay. a top 10 matchup in 6A between Southlake, Carroll, and Denton Geyer? Is it a 4A slugfest with Carthage and Pleasant Grove? Or is it one of the biggest games we've seen in Beaumont in years, Beaumont-Westbrook and Beaumont-United? Which one are you picking? I know which one you're picking because uh, you're, 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 you're all about the Beaumont. I love that game <laughs> so <laughs> much. I mean, you are all about Beaumont. You're so much into Beaumont, you love leaving the Beaver only because Ward Cleaver's actor's name was Hugh Beaumont. You love you some Beaumont this week. I really do. Um, uh Probably I'm going to give a slight edge to Carthage Pleasant Grove, mm-hmm. if only because of pedigree and uh, they're just a couple of, of high octane slobber knocking teams, yeah. and and I and, and are just both incredibly well coached. Which is to say, nothing disparaging either about the uh, the matchup in Beaumont or for that matter, Carolyn Geyer, Jeez. which is going to be that's really where I'll be at. There you go. See. You know, and, and, and given your choice of MacArthur and Coppell and, and Geyer and yes. Carol, I know, it's a, I know it's a tough call for you, Pickle. But, very, you know, very I, different. I, yeah, I, I would say uh, that Carol and Geyer is probably the, the leaner there. Um, it, that's, that's, a, that's a great comparison, Jeff, of all three of those. Uh, you know, backed into a corner and told I could only make one. I would try to make more than one. But only make one. It would it would probably be Carthage and Pleasant Grove. He is Craig Way, the Texas High School Football Hall of Famer. You can of course hear his fantastic call of West Virginia and Texas going down on Saturday from beautiful Morgantown, Texas, where the sun is always shining. Craig, safe travels, my friend. We will try to hold down the fort for you on Friday. I will think of you when I'm having breakfast at Tudor's Biscuit World in uh, Morgantown. <laughs> on uh, Saturday morning. The favorite one to get there is what's called the Politician. It has eggs, <laughs> cheese, and a big hunk of bologna in it. Oh, my God. Craig, safe travels, my friend. <laughs>
All right, you got it. There he goes. Craig Way, the Texas High School Football Hall of Famer, joins us every Tuesday here on Texas Football Today. Uh, off to Morgantown to uh, watch the Longhorns and the uh, Mountaineers in a Big 12 showdown. So appreciate his time. Um, how do you feel about final thoughts? We got, we got a couple of final we got a thoughts. Couple, all right. Let me, I got a Here to power through America's graphic. second favorite segment uh, is Ashley Pickle with final thoughts. Let me get the graphic pulled up here. And there it is. All right. Um, so the first one was Todd Gleaton said that you need a Claritin. I think we all need a Claritin. Mm-hmm. I think that's where we're where we're rolling with on this one. Um, the next one was Jesse Wyatt said, uh, "What was your impression on Longview holding arguably a state top five offense to three points?" He was very shocked. Um, yeah, that was probably the performance of any unit this week. Um, was Longview defense, and I think that that is a, a Longview for I think for good reason because of their quarterback and because of the way that they played last year. Their offense gets a ton of attention, but that defense has been consistently, consistently excellent, and uh, they're going to be a problem again. But that was that was to hold them out of the end zone uh, was super impressive. Um, and then we'll do the uh, oh, we missed the first four through the door again, so we'll go ahead and hit that up, and then that's really the end of final thoughts. But Allison Brown, Phil Vaney, Jacob John, and Chester Bradley were the first four through the door. So good job, guys. That is going to do it for us. Thank you for spending part of your day with us. Follow us on Twitter at DCTF. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Dave Campbell's. Follow us on Instagram, instagram.com slash Dave Campbell's. And of course, see us at TexasFootball.com. For Shahan J. Raja and Ashley Pickle, our thanks to Craig Way. Vince Young, please get your player of the year trophy. We'll see you tomorrow on Texas Football Today.